thankful for the ministry of, of our students and our children, and uh, it's been a big part of this for them, and parents for being there to talk with them and continue to teach them. So, you know, this is what we're here for, right? To know Jesus and to let other people know Jesus. So this is, this is what it's about. So I'm just so thrilled and excited about the last few weeks, and if you're interested in taking a step of faith in baptism, then we would love to talk with you. You know, baptism is one of those things that we do in church that not everyone understands. But the truth is, baptism is not a saving event. The saving event happens when you know Jesus, ask him to forgive you of your sins, and you ask him into your heart. That's, that's the saving event. Baptism is letting everyone else know it. It's a symbol of saying, I'm no longer who I once was. One of the beauties of the gospel is it's not a, just another activity in our lives. It is a complete change from who we were to who we now will be forevermore. So we're so excited to celebrate that with them and, and so happy that they're a part of our community. Uh, it's just a, just a wonderful time. If you're interested in, in being baptized, come talk with me or Scott or David or whoever, and we would love to talk with you about giving you that opportunity as well. Let me also say thanks for everybody that's provided for Widow's Harvest. Uh, we'll, we'll take all that stuff this week. Um, if you would like to donate financially towards some of their needs, you can still do that. Just write it in the memo line, or if you get an envelope and put cash in there, write it on the envelope that that's where it needs to go. We'll make sure it, it goes uh, where it needs to be. If you write a check, write it to us, and then we will uh, take care of getting it where it needs to go. Um, all right. So I've got a little bit to talk to you, and I don't have a whole lot of time. We're going to try to get out of here a few minutes early today because it's kind of like a field trip. We haven't done a field trip in a while, but when I was in school, those were the best days of the year, right? So absolutely. So we're going on a field trip, and uh, we, we don't, you don't even have to sign a waiver. So uh, that's wonderful. But um, so, so here's the deal. I, I messed up. I was supposed to, to tell you this week. To, put, uh, to bring some camp chairs and, and stuff because we have tables over there but no chairs. So we are going to have some chairs over there. If anybody's got a truck, uh, we've got one and we can get several chairs over there. If anybody else has a truck that is here and you're going to go over with us, then uh, let me know after. Everybody else, if you can help us gather these chairs up, push them to the side, we're going to load them up and take them over there. If you need directions to Foursquare, then there are some on the back table. They're spread out throughout the hallway as well. A lot of you old-timers, I, I say old-timers, you know, you've been here a while. You experienced one. Um, you guys already know where it's at. You, you've been there. Uh, you had dates there, and uh, you went to the movie. So we're really excited about opportunities at holes. So here's, here's what we're going to do, because once I get started in this, I'm going to completely forget everything that I'm supposed to tell you. So here's what we're going to do. As soon as we're done here, help us get these chairs stacked up. We're going to put some of those in some trucks and get them over there. There's already a group of people at Foursquare that are going to are cooking hot dogs and getting everything ready. So as soon as we're done, you can head over there. You can eat. We're, we're going to take you on a tour. Then we're going to sit down in the theater that we'll be using for worship. And we will uh, kind of lay out what our, what our thoughts and our plans and kind of where we've come from. Uh, to get to this place. So that's going to all happen immediately after. And I'd love for all of you to come. Uh, if you can't come, understand, you can see it another time. But I'd love for you to come and experience that. We've got plenty of food for everybody. And you don't have to bring anything, just show up. Um, and we really want to share the vision of what we're hoping here, which is far more than just meeting in a different building. Uh, the vision is much more for what's going on around us. Just to give you a, 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 uh, a kind of a sneak peek, we'll talk about this a little more this afternoon. One of the incredible things is the number of people that live immediately around this area. Within three miles, there are 33,000 people that live right around this area. Double that when you move to five miles or 66,000 and want 10 miles in a radius around Four Square Business Park, there are 220,000 people. One of the largest populations of, of young married families, singles, and college students anywhere in the city. There's only a couple of other places in the city that contains a higher population in that age group. The median age is like 39, so I'm like old um, for this this area. It's really amazing. So um, it's there lots of lots of um, prayers gone into this, and our our hopes go well beyond having a neat space to be in. So I hope that you'll come and you'll hear all of that. All right? Uh, again, the prayer walk is a great opportunity to get involved right now. A lot of our schools in the area have churches that are actively involved in those schools. 
Red Bank is not really one of them. There are some churches that are participating and provide some services and let the kids come to their church from time to time for events and things. But as far as someone actively investing in the school, uh, there's not really an organization doing that. So we're going to prayer walk this Tuesday night. If you've never prayer walked before, uh, it can, you, you may think, I'm not going. Are you kidding me? I don't know what that means. Talk out loud, walk around, I'll trip and fall. I can't walk and do two things at one, one time. But really, prayer walking is a wonderful time. You can certainly pray out loud if you want, but you do not have to. The purpose is for us to walk through and pray for God's presence in this place. We're going to do that Tuesday night. Teachers are going to show up Wednesday morning, and then students will show up the following week. And so it's a great opportunity for us to, uh, to just begin to build a relationship. We're thankful for Stacy that has helped to forge that and also for the principal who has invited us in to do this. So it's a, just a, a great opportunity before we're even moving into that area. So, all right, I think that's it for my announcements. Um, so the last couple of weeks we've been talking about what does it look like to truly have faith. And I know that whenever a church does something big, they do a series on faith which is what we're doing, but we didn't intend to do it that way. <laughs> but uh, it is what's happening. Uh, truth is, faith is crucial if you're going to walk in any kind of joy in your Christian life. Without faith, it's all just work. Without faith, you're not sure that it matters. Without faith, you'll never truly see God at work in your life or around your life. And those are the times that it becomes so real to you that you'll be willing to do anything and go anywhere to be a part of that because God is there. Faith is huge. We live in a world where it's very easy to not have faith. I don't have to trust that this stage is going to hold me up. I don't have to trust that I'm going to be able to put food on the table tomorrow. I don't have to trust that armed combatants are going to bust into this room and open fire. I, I, can, I, I don't have to worry about those things. But there are lots of things we can worry about. For a lot of us, we've lived our lives following Christ, and there have been times that we have been absolutely... Oh, that's right, Kidmo, you can go. This is good, this is good stuff. It's worth staying for, but if you have to go, you can. That was an effective plea. Hey, you're welcome, buddy. <laughs> All right, let me, let me find where I was. I've lost where I was now. <laughs> um, we don't have to worry about certain things. I don't know what those things were because that, that thought is long gone. All right, well, let me, how, let's do this then. Let me, let me recap where we've been. So in, in this life of faith, what we've been talking about is what does it look like to have a crazy faith? The kind of faith that people may look at you and go, you're, you're a little off. You're not quite right. The kind of faith that you uh, can live in a life that you may not have what everybody else has. The kind of faith that you may see things differently than other people see. The kind of faith that when people look at you and they look at the way you act and the way you talk and the way you treat people, they may even make fun of you because they don't get it. Because we do live in a world that you don't have to have faith to survive. But for all those who are being baptized, for all of you who are following Christ with your lives, faith truly is indispensable. And one of the first things we looked at was that if you were going to have a crazy faith that did crazy things in this world, you could not have a backup plan. Now, this has been the problem for a lot of people in our nation who have been in the church is they have added Jesus to all the other things that were already important to them. But he never took over. He, he was just another part of it. And so there was always a backup plan. I'll do this church thing. I'll do this Christian thing. I'll do this religious thing. I'll do it. And if it doesn't work out, I'm out of here. It's no big deal. I got other things I can do. And if you're going to have the kind of faith that moves mountains, it's the kind of faith that says, I'll have no backup plan. This is it. This is everything. This is the main thing. So we've also looked at the way that God provides at times. Last week, we looked at a great story uh, in the life of Elisha where we see and we learn a critical lesson that there are times that we are praying for God to show up in incredible ways, and there are times that he says, well, then get to work yourself. And we see the story where Elisha was providing water for 
this, these armies that were going into battle, they ended up in the midst of a drought. They were going to lose the war because they had no water. And he said, first, before God is going to work, you have to get out here and dig pools and dig ditches and trenches in order to contain the water so that when the water comes, it will be usable for you. Today, I'm going to talk a little bit about God's provision as well. Another story in the life of Elisha. If this is your first week in this series with us, Elisha and Elijah are often mixed up because their lives were so intertwined with each other. Elijah, one of the most well-known, one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament, was passing the torch to Elisha. Elisha came along and he said, okay, I want to do this. I want to follow God. I want to do great things. In this, in this life, we even found out that he said, whatever you've done, Elijah, whatever you have, whatever spirit you have within you, give me a double portion. And as we have read through Scripture, what we find is that there's only one other person recorded in Scripture that performed more miracles than Elisha, and that was Jesus. So here's a guy that has had a huge impact in the world. We learned great amount of uh, 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 not skills, but we learn a lot about what does it look like to have faith and to follow God. Now, the prophets in the Old Testament, what we know about the prophets were they were the mouthpiece of God, they spoke for God, and whenever you needed to hear from God, you went to the prophet. Now, a lot of times God would say things that weren't exactly exciting to hear, and it's one of the reasons that prophets were killed so regularly. In fact, Elisha came under Elijah's tutelage Because Elijah said, I'm done. People are trying to kill me. I've got no friends left. All the other prophets are gone. I mean, I'm done. And God said, well, I want you to go find Elisha, and he's going to replace you. And so as we look through the work and the ministry of the prophets, there are times that God will say things to us that may not be very palatable to our ears, but it is nourishment for our souls. So I want to share a story with you today that talks again about how God provides. I think this is a timely story that that not only speaks to us, but it speaks to our nation. It speaks to our culture. What does it look like to really see God show up? So if you've got your Bibles or you can be on version or wherever you need to go, we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 4 today. That's primarily where we're going to be. For some of you, as we come into this, provision is a, a huge topic for you. Some of you, you've been praying for God to provide or to show up or to do something for a long time, and he has not yet done it. Maybe you're thinking about giving up. Maybe you're saying, God, when are you going to do this A, B, or C? God, that's not for me. It's for somebody else. Why don't you do this for them? And so the way that God works and the way that God shows up is highly important to all of us. I'll tell you that it will be impossible to follow God in faith-building ways if we don't have any margin in our lives to allow God to work. Creating that margin for some of us means we're going to have to begin to look at our lives based on what we have versus what we need versus what we want. Some of the reasons we don't have much margin in our lives that we can't see God work, we talked a little last week about the fact that if God moves, are you able to move with Him? One of the reasons we don't have much margin is because many of us, we are on a quest to gain as much as we can for ourselves. I want as much out of this life for me. I want everything I can get. I want the nice stuff. I want to be recognized by other people. I want to be envied. We're so busy trying to get all these things that we don't have That if God were to truly come and tap us on the shoulder and say, I've got something incredible for you. This is going to change everything, not just for you, but for other people. This is what I want you to do. Many of us would have to say, God, I would love to do that, but I just don't see any way I can do it. I'm busy. I've got a busy job. I've got a lot of responsibility. I just can't get up and go. I've got kids, and my kids, you know, they're not like other well-behaved kids. So they take a lot of my time and effort, and I, you know, I, I'm just done. I'm, I'm wore out. It's just amazing they're still alive, and I'm looking for my medal for that. For some of us, we're taking care of other people around us. We're thinking, God, look at all these people who count on me. Now, they never asked us to take care of them. God never said you should take care of them, but it felt good because they were relying on us, even though 
They really don't need us, but we feel, I, I need to look over all these people and take care of them. There are a lot of ways that we use our lives to try to get stuff that we want or need, and it reduces the margin in our lives to see God work in the ways that really matter. Without margin in our lives, you'll never be able to follow God faithfully. You'll never see your faith built because you don't have time. You don't have the mental capacity. You don't have the emotional capacity. I want to talk to you about one such woman who she really could not follow God to do anything. Now, for her, it wasn't that she was too busy. She had all kinds of time. It wasn't that she didn't have margin in her life. She had all kinds of margin in her life. But her life was falling apart, and she needed God to show up. Her problem was that she was so focused on her needs that she was petrified. You may be thinking, whoa, I'd like to try that. Have lots of margin in my life. Have lots of time in my life. I'd, I would like to try that. Well, let's look at our story about a widow who was just about to lose everything. Verse, chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, well, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what, what have you in the house? She said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Now, let's just paint the picture. Some of you may feel like you are or have been in this widow's place. I have children. I have no money. The creditors are coming. My husband is dead. A Jewish tradition tells us this is Obadiah's wife. Obadiah was a prophet. If you want to read up on Obadiah, you'll find that Obadiah had an incredible ministry that he took care of a lot of people. And many of the prophets in the Old Testament, part of their ministry was giving everything they had to help others. Other prophets, other people. Prophets were often poor. They never had huge houses. They never had plenty of anything. They had to trust God. They needed to trust God. And God took care of them. So we have a woman here who is saying, man, I have nothing. I have no husband. Now, this is what it means to have no husband at this time. It's a little different today. At this time, to have no husband means you have no livelihood. To have no husband means you have no opportunity. To have no husband means that you couldn't just go out and get a job and make up the money in order to pay the creditors. Because it was a time that women had very little freedom rights. And so here's a woman who has lost her husband. Now, what makes it worse is that her husband was so devout a follower of God. You ever known somebody who was a devout follower of God that things seemed to go wrong for them? And you think, what's wrong with them? There was a time that we would have thought there's some unknown sin in their life. And someone would have asked, is there some sin in your life that you've not confessed and God's punishing you for? People actually say that, that, that stuff. I know you wouldn't, but people do. But they would look at her, and I wonder if it was in her mind if she was thinking, God, why have you abandoned us after we have served you so faithfully? We don't have anything because we've given everything we have to others. And now, because of the way the legal system and debt collection system worked at this time, they're going to come steal her children and sell them into slavery to pay her debts. She's in a bad way. Things are not going well for her. And this is somebody who had served deeply and greatly for the kingdom of God. Can you imagine what life would be like if you were fearing they were taking your children to sell them to pay your debts? Now, I know that some of you would say, well, can we? That's still an option. But that is not an option. You cannot do that. And if you do, you're going to go to jail. So don't do it. But here's a grieving widow. 
Jewish tradition tells us she's still a young woman and she is literally going to lose everything and she has no hope but God. So Elisha comes in. People know who Elisha is. They know he's performed incredible miracles and she says, what am I to do? You're one of us. I'm one of you. I'm in big trouble here. What am I going to do? And Elisha's response, what, what, do you, what do you want me to do for you? Not a fun response. It's not what you want to hear. You know, for some of you in the room, I know that life is very difficult. But stories like this sometimes help us put our hardships into perspective. Stories like this, lives like this, put our, our lives into perspective. And sometimes what we need most to, to deal with our hardships is perspective. Starbucks was shut down today. Not a hardship. Not a hardship. We were going to go to the beach, but everything was booked up. I mean, it's so bad. I need a vacation so bad. Not a hardship. There are a lot of things that we claim as hardships in life that are not hardships simply because we're not really aware with others who have real hardships going on in their life. See, when we sequester ourselves in our own places, in our own lives, with our own group of friends, and we either pretend or maybe things are going really well for us, and we do not interlace our lives with people who are acquainted with great suffering, we begin to believe that inconveniences are hardships. Because you and I live in a nation that is built on the concept that you should be able to have everything you want. You deserve it. And yet so many people are unhappy with their lives. A lot of us could deal with our hardships by saying, this is really not all that bad. My children aren't being sold. I'm not going to lose my house and everything that I have. I can get a job if I don't have a job. I can always get more training or another degree in order to get another job. And then even then, you still have a safety net of a national government that will help pay your bills if you can't. For many of us, to understand true hardship means we have to go outside of our lives. Sometimes we have to go outside of our nation to see what true hardship is. This is a woman who's dealing with true hardship. One of the questions that Elisha first asks her is, what do you already have? What do you already have? See, we've known for a long time, a psychologist will tell you, a pastor will tell you, any person who's lived any life at all will tell you that the answer for dealing with those gnawing wants that just gnaw at you day in and day out is simply gratitude for the things that you already have. Elisha's first question, what do you already have? You can see on the screen, you'll completely change your life once you do recognize what you already have, even if you never get that thing that you think you have to have in order to be happy. One of the keys to being content what you already have. In this case, though, that really doesn't apply, does it? And anything. And no money, no way to make a living. Her children are too young to work. Not really sure what she's going to do here. But what do you do? You don't have what you want? Oftentimes, you have to go back with what you have. If you look at 2 Kings chapter 4, now at verse Three, it says, Then he, Elisha, said, Go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. I love that. Not too few. Get a bunch of them. As many as you can find. Go around to all your neighbors. Which, if it were you, let me tell you something. We, we, we have a uh, freshman entering high school this year that we're very excited about. And he's playing football this year. So I'm going to brag on Jake a little bit. We went to the first parent meeting, and they told us how much money each of the players have to raise in order to play football. I mean, it's—I I mean, I was doing the math. I was like, I mean, 
I'm going to become a football coach. I mean, I don't know anything about football, but I'll become, that's good money. I, it's astounding the amount of money that these kids have to raise to pay for all their stuff for the program because the county doesn't pay for anything. So Jake has literally, I don't know how many homes, how many homes do you think you've knocked on doors uh, in the last few weeks? Either, easily a hundred. Our entire neighborhood and then some outside of our neighborhood. Easily a hundred doors selling coupon books, which I have bought two extra still for sale. If you want one, come see me after. 20 bucks, straight stuff, we'll, we'll set you up. He set out day after day knocking on doors trying to raise that money. It wasn't hard, was it? I mean, it was hard. It wasn't easy, was it? It wasn't fun. He didn't enjoy it. I remember when I had to do that, and I hated it. It was terrible. Knock on the door. He even had one person, you know, out of a movie. What do you want? We don't want it to go away. You know, that literally happened in our neighborhood. So stay, stay away from that house. <laughs> you know, don't go there. Um, anyways, we should have gotten that on video. That would have been fun. We could have showed it. But it's not fun doing that. But that was to play football. That was to play football. What if you had to do that in order to have food on the table? What if you had to do that in order... To keep your kids from being snatched out of your care and sold to somebody else who didn't know or love them because that would help pay your bills. Imagine what it would be for you to go knock on a door. Every door you can knock on. Have you got any empty jars I can have? Have you got empty jars I can have? Have you got any empty jars I can have? They all know the story. Oh, that's that poor widow. Her husband gave everything away that they had and then he died. That was bad planning. Didn't set anything away. Can you imagine the humility she would have had to have gone through just to ask for empty jars? Door after door after door. Now, some of us would have thought, well, if Elisha really loved God and really loved people, you know, he would have knocked on the doors for her. Or better yet, if he performed all these miracles, why didn't he just wave his magic wand or his hand or say a prayer or whatever? And why didn't all these pristine jars just appear? But the truth is, just as we looked last week, God often doesn't show up until we're ready to do some work ourselves. But there is this prevailing belief with amongst Christians today that says, I'm praying, God, this this huge burden that's on my heart, and I'm just going to sit here and binge watch on Netflix, my favorite season of TV, until you show up. I've been praying about it. I don't know why God's not working. I just don't understand. I mean, yeah, yeah, I had to have seen season three. Are you on season four yet? You know, as if God wants us just to make an ask and then sit around and wait for the provision. But I have found that rarely is the way God works in this world. That if it's worth the ask, it's also worth the work. And that's exactly what Elisha says to this widow. Now, he knows that her ability is limited. He he didn't say, go out and get a job. He didn't say, go out and start a business. He didn't say, go out and do this or that. He said, just go collect empty jars. Things people have around their house that they'd be willing to give you. But get as many as you can. Don't get just a few. Get as many as you can and bring them all together. Now, she doesn't know what they're for. She doesn't know what he's going to do with these things. What am I going to do with empty jars? If they give them to me, they don't want them. There's no value in these jars. What's the point of this? And because often when God directs us to work, it doesn't always make sense. And if it has to make sense for us to do it, that's one of the reasons we're not seeing God at work. Because God's desire is for us to build faith, right? If God really needed me on this earth, troubleshooting where he needed to use his resources and spend his time, he wouldn't really be all that great of a God, would he? If my, my role in this world was as a consultant to the Most High God who created all things so that he was aware of what needed to happen on his creation while I was watching Netflix, hey God, just, I'm just letting you know you need to deal with that. Okay, next show. That's not much of a God, is he? Instead, God has invited us to work with him through faith 
see great things happen. And those are many of the ways that our faith is built. But sometimes he'll ask you to go get some jars and you'll not know what they're for before he ever shows up. Get them all, as many as you can. Verse 4 says, then go in, shut the door behind yourself and your son, and pour into all these vessels. Now remember, she said, I've got a vessel full of oil. Now the oil would have been olive oil. Olive oil was a high commodity. Olive oil had a ton of uses, and it was in abundance. So if you had some oil, that was a big deal. And likely these other jars that people had given them were the spent oil that they already have. And he says, go get all these jars, get a bunch of them, and then start pouring your oil into it. Now, if you're a critical thinker, and you like to think of yourself as a scientific person, you never pour the first drop because you're going, God, come on, seriously? What do you want? I don't even know where their jar's been. I don't know what they've done with their jar. My jar, I know where it has happened. Why do you want me to pour this in another jar? Sometimes when God provides, he provides in the most unusual ways. But he has asked us to go to work first. I'll just leave, leave you or ask you this question. Well, let me finish verse 4 since I haven't, have, I haven't finished it yet. Go in, shut the door behind yourself and your sons, pour into these vessels, and when one is full, set it aside. So the idea is, there's still more in there. Keep pouring until it's gone. What if, for you, this thing you've been praying for, what if God's provision is one act of obedience away? Now, here's the problem. is because for some of you, this is absolutely true, but for some of you, it's three acts of obedience away. And so you do one act of obedience and said, oh, Mark lied to me. I did the thing he told me to do. It just still didn't happen, so I'm done. I did my one act of obedience. Now, this is this story, but what if yours is three, or what if yours is 30? of one. How can we truly have faith in God if we're not willing to obey Him? If what He has asked us to do is not worthy enough for us to actually do, why would He show up with a supernatural provision? If we don't even believe that it's all that worthwhile, what if His provision is just an act of obedience away? While we're sitting waiting for Him to show up, God's saying, I've given you instructions. I'm just waiting for you to complete them. You believe that God will provide what you need, even if it isn't what you want? I I like to to have things. You like to have things. I like to go places. You like to go places. I have wants. You have wants. I have some wants that are pretty necessary. I want food, I want water, you know, I want stuff, you know, to keep me alive. I have some wants I don't really need. You have wants you don't really need. Sometimes we ask God to provide for the wants and not the needs. We get frustrated when he doesn't give us everything we want. Yet every good parent knows that if you give your child everything they want, you've got a monster on your hands. Why in the world would God give us everything we want? But many of us pray that way. Many of us believe that way. We would never admit that, but that's the way we live and that's the way we see God is, God, I've told you what I want. Why have you not provided this? And then we get mad at God as if he's some kind of bad guy, bad father. Even though he is doing what is best for us. What we find is that God provides for us in incredible ways, but he provides for us in the ways that we need. Whenever we start thinking about our needs, our greatest need, we read about it in Romans 4, how God provides for our needs. But for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he has delivered over to death for our sins, And was raised to life for our justification. God takes care of our needs. The entire, all of scripture is focused on the central message that our greatest need is redemption. And God has taken care of that need. God has given us his son who died on a cross, who rose from the dead, who has loved us unconditionally. 
to take care of our need for redemption, to be forgiven, to be justified. God has done that for us. And he will continue to take care of our needs. When you begin to understand that your greatest need is Jesus, you will begin or you will begin to cease Believe that you need everything you ever wanted. Because you have the thing that is most precious and important. Our greatest need is met. For those of you who you know exactly what this looks like, you know what this means, and, and this is really where you are, what has God asked you to do that you are unwilling to do? I don't know what it is. You know, a good preacher would give you three things, and one of them would be get, write a big check to the church, Right? I don't know what this is. God has never made a huge, massive move of faith in me based on a, a check that I wrote to a church. Although that's been an important part of my ongoing faith development. I doubt that that's going to be the thing that God wants you to do in an act of... It could be. It could be. But for those of you who already know what it is, but you're hesitating, what has God asked you to do that you're unwilling? What if that's the thing? What if it's to go get a bunch of empty jars and you have no idea why you're doing this? What if it's to go back to school? What if it's to quit your job? What if it's to move out of your neighborhood? What if it's to change the way you spend time with your kids? What if it's because you have to sell the bass boat in order to spend more time with your children? So they'll grow up to know what it means to have a dad who loves Jesus. Because they never see you. They never know. What if as we cut up the credit cards and we can't go do the shopping we enjoy doing and pay for it later? What if we have to do that? What is that act of obedience that God is already calling you to, but you're resistant because you're not sure how that's going to work or how that's going to benefit you? What I believe is that God often waits to see what you will do with what he has already given you or giving you anything more. If that's where you are. Do we ask God for things over and over and over again and yet we refuse to share with others? How much of our time do we spend serving others? How do I look around me and instead of thinking, I mean, I wish they would do this for me, how many times do I think about what can I do for them? How much giving is in our heart versus receiving from others? One of the things we, we try to teach our children and that we have seen with our adult eyes, it was hard to see with our young adult and childhood eyes, but to look for people who don't have a peer group who get made fun of, would we give up our status in order to give to them? Because that's who I think what Jesus would do. What are we doing with what we already have? Is it something that God's wanting to invest more into? James 2 talks about this relationship between faith and works. It says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? In other words, oh, I believe. I don't do anything with it, but I believe. Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without actually giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. What we do with the faith matters. If we're not doing anything with it, then it's as good as dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. There's a part of this that Christians just have to be the most active people in the world, not the most passive. They've got, not got to be the people who are praying all the time for God to show up. Christians have got to be the ones showing up. We can't just come up and say, hey, we want to fill this baptistry through the water and we want to baptize people all the time, but we won't spend any time with anybody who doesn't know Jesus because they're, you know, just not the right kind of people. I don't think that probably applies to anybody in this room, but you know that is a common mindset in our culture. 
How can we truly lead people to Jesus if we don't know anybody that needs Jesus? What are we doing with what we already have? Is it making a difference? Is it taking us anywhere? Is our faith, does it really have legs? Is it working or is it silent? Are you managing your life in such a way that God would want to shower you with more? It's a hard question for me to sometimes really think about. Am I really worthy of God investing anything more than what He's already invested? But if we're unwilling to work, we'll pray, we'll ask, we'll point out the problems. We won't actually try to solve any problems, but we'll point them out. Why should God work if we are unwilling to? For some of you, the thing that you're looking for to see God's presence, see God show up and do something amazing, to make a difference in your life, your family's life, your neighbor's life, your coworker's life, the lives of the people all around the world. Some of you, God is just saying, okay, but partner with me. Don't ask me to do it by myself. We're willing to get involved and go to work. That means we have to take some of ourselves that we hold for ourselves, take care of for ourselves, think about for ourselves, and make number one ourselves. We have to let that go, give of ourselves for others. Some of us, we come home from work and we're like, I'm done and I've worked all day. I'm not working on anything else. You can't live life that way. You can't have a home that way. You can't have a family that way. What are we doing with what we have? Perhaps some of us, we have more than enough. We really, truly recognize what we have. So here's, let's, let's finish the story. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 5. This is, this is the end of this story. It says, so she, remember, she's already gone, knocked on the door. She's got the jars. She's been at work. She went from him, shut the door behind herself and her son. As she poured... They brought the vessels to her. The vessels were full. She said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. They're all gone. We've done them all. Then the oil stopped flowing. When her work ceased, so did God. Think about that. She got all that she could get. Maybe she got every empty jar within a 100-mile radius. Who knows? I don't know how many she has. It doesn't tell. She got every jar she could get her hands on. She did all the work that she could that she was instructed to do. But after the last one was filled, that's when it stopped. God continued to provide, work with what she had already done. This may jack up your idea of God's provision. This may completely throw you for a loop, and you may go, well, this is not the kind of God I want to serve. But I will tell you, it should not scare you. It should make you excited that you get to be a part of working God. If he is, sends us out to bust boulders all day, if that's where he is, he's worthy. And it is worthwhile. It will stop flowing. Verse 7. She came out and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil. Pay your debts. You and your son can live on the rest. God showed up. God showed up. Some of you, this is very personal for you because you're also in this kind of financial whatever, quicksand. You're not sure how you're going to make it. You're thinking, man, I, I just don't, I just don't know if we can do it. And, you know. I'll go get jars if you want me to go get jars. I'll do whatever you want. And it would be great if we had a Bible that for every problem that ever came in life, there was a very clear instruction of what you're supposed to go do in order to solve that problem. Wouldn't that be wonderful? We sometimes call the Bible God's little, you know, book of answers and things like that. Well, certainly there are lots of books of answers. Lots of answers in the book. However, there's very few line-item, frequently asked questions that address your ex- exact issue. 
Because if it was, it wouldn't need, you wouldn't need faith. But instead, God says, trust me. Just trust me in this. Get to work. And I'll work with you. Now, it may be that for some, you know, God, I really need you to show up because our PlayStation Plus membership is just about to end, and I'm not sure we can afford it for the next year. And the PlayStation 4 is out. Hint, hint. So, God, I really need you to show up here. Some of us, we need to recognize that some of the things that we have deemed as necessities are not necessities. We need to go back to what is most important. When you are grounded in what is most important, oftentimes you stop there. You don't even need anything else. But when you're not grounded in what's most important, your mind will go to all the things that you don't have. You look at your neighbors, you look at your friends, you look at the guy in high school on Facebook that nobody liked and now he's a multi-billionaire. God, why don't I have that? You don't need that. You don't need that. Crazy faith works with what you have Trust God for what is needed. What a crazy faith does. You have to get to work with what you've got. What have you got? Well, I can't stand up, I can't preach, and I'm not going to knock on doors and ask people if they know Jesus and if they're going to hell. Okay, what have you got? I'm not doing that either, by the way. But what have you got? What have you got that you can work with? God has given you so much. What have you got that you can work with? We live in a nation that our most needy people are, are, are still within arm's reach of a meal and shelter. What have you got that you can work with? Well, I'm not skilled. Yes, you are skilled. You may not know what you're skilled in, but yes, you are skilled. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit within you, which means you are supernaturally gifted to change the world around you because that's what the Holy Spirit does through his people. What have you got that you can work with? you remember from this story that God's provision continued until her work had stopped. Keep working. Sometimes it's easy to say, I've done enough. I'm not doing anything more. Keep working. Let me, let me leave you with these two questions and a thought. Number one, what do you have that you can offer to God? What do you have? I don't know. Some of you have a lot to offer. What do you have that you can offer to God? If you are completely looking at this through the lens of finances, you are missing one of the greatest gifts God may have given you. You think, well, I don't have a lot of money. Well, neither did this widow or Elisha or Elijah or Jesus or the disciples or most people who have done great things for God have not had massive amounts of everything. So you don't, well, you're in good company. Don't look through the lens of financial. Now, it, financial may be a part for you. One of the rules for the spiritual gift of giving is you've got to have something to give. And oftentimes, for those that have the spiritual gift of giving, it comes along with a spiritual gift of making money. Maybe that's not you, but God has given you other things. Don't look through it just through the lens of financial. What do you have that you can offer to God? The second question is, what are you believing for God to provide? you believing for? Is it a worthwhile thing? We talked last week. Sometimes our plans are just not worthwhile. Are we believing God for? Is it a worthwhile thing? God will show you what's a worthwhile thing as you continue to know Him and grow closer to Him. Final thought to leave you with? You offer what you have. You trust for what you need. You will build a crazy faith. And once you have that, and you begin to see God at work, you'll never regret a minute. It's an incredible thing to walk with God. To know He's real, to know He's alive, to know He's active, and to know He cares about you in your life and He's active. It's a wonderful thing in life. I'm going to pray with you. We're going to do one more song. I do want to ask you again, will you help us clear these chairs out so we can get some over? And then I hope you'll come with us. We've got some lunch for you. And uh, we really want to talk about the facility, but also want to talk to you about the vision behind this move. It's way bigger than the facility. So we'll talk with you about that in a few minutes.
grab your directions if you need them. Ride with somebody. If somebody's not here, call them up and say, hey, lunch, lunch on me. See, that's easy. You didn't have to pay anything for it. Lunch on me. Meet me here at such and such time. And uh, I hope that you guys will come. All right, let's pray. God, I thank you that you are a God who provides. Even when I don't fully comprehend your provision. God, I thank you that you invited me to work with you. Not just to sit on the sidelines and watch, powerless, without anything to offer. God, I pray that within this room, there are those that have been asking and needing some incredible provisions from you for a long time. They're about to give up. God, I pray that you would make very clear what their next steps are. I believe that you did want us to grow our faith more than you want our wants, even our needs, to be met. I pray that our faith would be built. Pray that we would be a people that are willing to give of ourselves of what we have. That we would be able to build into not just this community, but the city beyond. God, I pray for those and you have given them a clear step of obedience, an act that you have instructed them to follow through with. And they don't get it. They don't understand it. But you do. Pray that you would build their faith so they will take that step. They can see your provision. Father, help us to be like this widow. Trust and to hope. To recognize what we have. And so many others are so focused on what they don't have. Father, I thank you for the provision of your son who has given us life and a second chance. Thank you that you've loved us. And that you've invited us to walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.